Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at First Church Ministries, um, Sunday school teacher, and we're studying the book of Ephesians. This is lesson five. If you've been following along, lesson four, I actually put a little header in there. <laughs> this is lesson five, one in Christ. And, um, you know, many times we've just gone past this front slide, where, which has the key verse in Ephesians today. It's particularly important. I want us to really take a look at that before we get into this text. Um, so in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And then this bold section, making known to us the mystery of his will. So this is, Ephesians is a book unveiling the mystery of his will, the mystery of God's will, according to his purpose, the purpose he has, which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So, so the key thing here is Christ uniting all things. So the uh, chapter one, we talked about uh, God's working as a trinity, um, that the father loved us and predestined us to be adopted as sons. The son shed his blood for us and, and bought redemption for us. And the Holy Spirit seals us and fills us as a, a deposit guaranteeing uh, our eternal redemption. And then we see Paul praying for the Ephesians. They would know the power that God has, the power that he used when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the heavenlies above all rulers and dominions and authority. Um, and then we, last uh, lesson, we looked at chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, where it talks about we were dead in our sins, but God raised us up also and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms and, and, and has fashioned us as his workmanship to do to, to good works that we should walk in them. So there's this, this, he's talking to the Ephesians about the fact that we've been transformed. We have a new life. Now, the church in Ephesus was, Ephesus was a very big city, a very important city, probably the most important city in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And, uh, and it had, uh, uh, some Jewish people, but primarily the believers in the in, in the Church of Ephesus were like most of Paul's churches, primarily Gentiles. Okay? And Gentiles, um, Gentiles had were treated differently than um, than Jewish people were. And and Jewish people, uh, you you hear these expressions: there are two types of people in the world, and there's this and that. Well, that was certainly true in the uh, Jewish mind view for for um, for uh, how God treated. People. There were Gentiles and there were um, Jews. And so um, even though they were Christian, there was this question of what does that mean? Because uh, Jewish people said they were God's chosen people and, uh, and that God had given them the covenants and God had given them the uh, eternal life and it promised it to them. And so the, Paul's dealing with that in this section. We're dealing with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And uh, we have um, this uh, section here, One in Christ. I actually, um, I'm not going to read this section like I did last time. I'm actually going to go into this next slide. Same text, except One in Christ has been removed, and there's now three sections here. And I want to talk to you about these three sections. So, so um, and, and I've actually divided it up a little bit more. So there's the first two sections, and then we're going to go to the third section. And this is a little bit, um, uh, well, actually... Um, 
uh, Jose photoshops in better slides. So, so uh, uh, I, 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 I'll talk off of this and you can just follow along because I'd rather you see the whole thing here. Um, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were all at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, so Paul, Paul calls it like it is. He says, remember this. Remember there was a time when, you were, when the circumcision looked down at you, when you were separated from Christ. Okay, so there's, there, it was not just an imaginary thing. That, so after the flood, God instituted governments and government and the people spread out through after the uh, after the flood throughout the nations, and, and he put one nation in particular, the Jewish um, nation, and he took those and he said, "I'm going to teach you what it's like to what God is like." And so he gave them the covenants. He gave them circumcision. Circumcision was a setting apart, a cutting of a covenant that basically in the flesh that basically said, I belong, I have made a, a commitment and allegiance to this, this person, uh, to God. And so they, they became very proud of this. They suffered immensely. The Jewish people suffered immensely for their faith. They also suffered immensely for their sin because like us too, they were sinners. And, and they, there was, uh, there was uh, when we, they forgot God and rebelled against God, God sent... Um, um, uh, discipline on them and they were actually there was captivity and there was a dispersion um but they were god's chosen people and they and they stuck through it all was god working in other nations at the time yes but in a different way he was working individually just like in the time before the flood he worked individually um after the flood he worked individually in people and their in their relationship with god but one nation one nation he actually said, this is what it is. To, this is who God is. This is what it means to approach me and worship me. And, and um, they were the subject of his favor, but also of his discipline. And so they had the covenants. And they were, he says here, um, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So the Jews were very proud of their heritage, okay? Um, and and they had, they'd been faithful in preserving that heritage, not completely faithful, but faithful in passing it down. And um, they, they, you were one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we talk about, we talk about well, what, what, what advantage is there being a Jewish person? Because a Jewish person wasn't saved by being Jew. You, you're not born, you, there's no one who's Christian, born Christian. Okay, you might be born into a Christian family or believers, but you have to accept Christ separately. Same thing with the Jewish faith, okay? And sometimes they thought that just being born Jew was enough, but most Jewish people understood that you had to have faith in God, that you really had to trust in God. So what's the advantage of being a Jew over being a Gentile? Well, the Jews had the meaning of life. They, they, they understood, they had the revelation of God of what he intended and what it meant to walk with him. And so they had the truth, access to the truth. Now, the fact that they ignored it a lot of times was normal, it was human, okay? We do that same thing. 
But the fact that they had it was an immeasurable gift to them. The Gentiles did not have that, okay? If you grew up as a Gentile, if you grew up as a Greek, um, you didn't have, you couldn't say there was this absolute truth. In fact, we face that today right now. People say, there is no absolute truth. You can find truth all over. And so many people spend a lot of time looking in a lot of different areas trying to find truth and never finding it. So the Jewish people had that revelation. As Gentiles, they did not. And in Ephesus, they were bound to sorcery and worship and animism. And in fact, when Paul went and uh, when they preached there and he taught there, it says at the end of the time of his teaching, they actually got together all their magic arts and incantations and spells. And I think it's 50,000 drachmas that they burned up in the fire. Okay, It was like 200 years worth of an average man's wages. And they did that because they wanted to forsake the, the, and they wanted to make sure no one else paid. They could have sold those things to other people, but they would have been selling lies to other people. They would have been denying who they were as believers. And so, so what he's saying, that, but there was a time when that was your only hope. You, there was real no, no real hope for you. But it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And has made both one and broken down the in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, and so now the question comes is, what's this dividing wall of hostility? We'll keep on reading, but a couple of ideas there were that the dividing wall of hostility was the law that he's going to talk about uh, here. And so he says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the, the dividing wall could have been the law and commandments is talked about here. There's another discussion that there was in the court, the Jewish uh, temple, there was the court of the Gentiles, and that you, if you were a Gentile, you had to stay there, and there was a dividing wall before you could go in. Any Jewish person could go in, and then they'd go into the court of the women, and then they'd proceed into the court of the men, and then they'd be in the temple intersection. But uh, so the dividing wall could have been the wall that divided out the temple, or it could have, but, but what here is he's talking about the um, dividing wall, the abolishing the law and commandment. So this is what was happening. If you were a Jewish person, you had the commandments, and you followed the commandments, and you, and you, you, were, you, had a, uh, you were circumcised, uh, to show that you are a man of the law um, and that you are bound by that. And that separated you from Christ. But Christ fulfilled, Christ fulfilled the law. He abolished, and after he fulfilled the law, he abolished the law. So the, the, what you got to carry on here is in, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And so Christ fulfilled the law. And what was the law? that if you sin, you will die. And if you don't sin, you can have fellowship with God. And every time you sin, there was a sacrifice to be made. And the sacrifice didn't take away the sin, but it was a substitute for your death. Okay, so when you offered a lamb because you sinned, it was a reminder that you deserve death, but God was going to forgive you. But the lamb was only a symbol. The lamb didn't cause the forgiveness. And there had to be a sacrifice for sin. And Christ was that sacrifice. So Christ fulfilled the law by being the perfect sacrifice 
for all mankind. This is why we know that Christ was God and not just fully man, but fully God. Because one man could sacrifice himself for one man, maybe. Maybe you'd accept a substitution. But one man, however good he would, could not sacrifice himself for billions of people. And yet Christ did that. So we know that one God equals billions of people. His infinite worth created that substitution. And so Christ, in his body, abolished the law. It says here, um, uh, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in the place of two. So this is the truth. He, he fulfilled the Jewish law. He broke down that wall. So now Jewish people and Gentiles have the same access to God, and the access is only through Christ. He broke, he made one new, he, he says here he made, created in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. So there were sort of two mankinds, okay, it's just like Adam was the first man, and, and Christ is, is, is the second Adam, it says in Romans chapter 5. Um, there was this, this um, so with Jewish and Gentiles, there were these two kinds of mankind, that Christ has brought them together, and he's brought them together through him. So there is not, so, so there's no longer the law and commandments. So, well, are the law and commandments abolished? Well, no, because the law and the commandments are God's, is God's moral will in the universe. He has said, listen, if you do these things, if you obey these laws, you will live a happy life. You'll live the life I've intended to you. So they're not abolished in the sense that they're not good. There's still things we need to do. What abolishes the fact that there was a thought that you could earn salvation through these things. That was always a wrong thought, okay? It was sort of like um, saying, you know, there's this test, and if you pass this test, you'll, you'll uh, get the gold ring or whatever in there, and no one's ever passed the test, and no one could ever pass the test, and there's reason, you, you just know that that's never going to happen. But the law, but, but still you try, people still try, and that's where the, the law, the Jewish people had to know that they couldn't be good enough to get to God, okay? But we are wonderfully self-deluded, okay? Because we think we, we can do things better than others. We can do, we can win that game, we can do, even if we know it's an unwinnable thing. In fact, one of my, uh, the, the favorite thing, uh, parts in Star Trek that you watch or you're a Trekkie fan is, uh, uh, I, I forget what the maneuver is, the Kobe Ash maneuver, where, where he create, um, Kirk wins the game by basically um, cheating. He rigs it or whatever, but he wins the game because we can do, we can make a way, okay? And so, but we couldn't. And so the law's out there. The law's still there, and it's still a good guide, but it has nothing to do with our salvation now. Our salvation is in Christ. Our salvation is His blood. Him, in the, and, and when God looks at us, sometimes you'll hear it say, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Christ. He sees the blood of Christ covering us. He doesn't see the blood of Christ covering us. He sees Christ. We are in Christ, okay? We're not covered by the blood of Christ. There's a sense we are, but, but, but in reality, we're united with Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees his family. He sees the one he loves. He sees us in Christ. That's the key. And that's why it's so important that we understand that salvation is not a momentary thing, but it's an actual adoption into a new family. It's a new, it's, it's just a new reality. 
We have new brothers and sisters. And just like in any family, we don't always get along with our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we're sort of embarrassed by some of our brothers and sisters, but they're still our brothers and sisters. They're still people we need to learn how to love. And then we need to learn how to love those that are not our brothers and sisters and invite them into that family. And so we have this here. He's talking to the Ephesians. What must it have been to, 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 to the despair that they must have gone through at times, thinking that they, they tried to please God, but they couldn't please God? Because when they were with the spirits and the animism and the sorcery and other stuff, they, were, they, they could never know. They could never know. They might have some teacher out there who acted like he knew, but on their own, they were always worrying and concerned. But now Jesus is saying, excuse me, now Paul is saying, that through Jesus, we can know we have salvation. We can know that he's reconciled us both. Um, and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to the who is near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit through the Father. So this is the truth. There is no different access for Jewish people or Gentiles. There is only one access. And that access is through Jesus Christ, through the spirit. So. The, the, the thing is this, is um, Gnosticism was going, saying that Jesus, uh, if you knew the right things and did the right things, you could get to heaven, and that Jesus was the, the way, but he was only the first link in a chain up there. That is not what this says at all. Paul is striking against that and saying, Jesus is the reality. We are in God, in Christ, okay? And that the Spirit um, is inside of us and unites us to Christ. So this is the point. You cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Without God in you, you cannot live the Christian life. You can try. You can work hard. You can do good works. But again, that's the same problem that the Jewish people had. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, no one becomes a believer. And there were believers in the Old Testament. And there were actually people outside of the Old Testament who were believers, uh, like Melchizedek and Jethro, Jethro, who were not Jewish but were believers. Um, but, you, but none of them became believers without the Spirit of God, without the Holy Spirit. But the difference between the Old Testament believer and the New Testament believer is the Holy Spirit dwells in a New Testament believer. We have riches and access that Old Testament believers, even the greatest, David, Abraham, Isaiah, Solomon, all never had access to the wisdom and the, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives continuously. And so it says, so, so you are no longer stranger and aliens, but are fellow citizens with saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So let, let's look at, let's tease this out a little. So we have access to God, um, the Father, through one spirit. We're no longer strangers and aliens. That's a, a key theme there that, um, um, that they would feel. Okay, I, I, so I became a believer when I was 16, and uh, that's a long time ago, um, about um, 45 years ago. And... Um, I have to say, I can still remember, but it's not quite as, I don't remember quite as much as I used to um, on that. But for many, many years, I knew what it was like to be a stranger and alien. I knew 
the pain and the emptiness of my life. I could see it. My, my, my um, uh, pre-Christian um, life was not an easy life. It was very tumultuous and very, very strange, much more so than most, okay? And I, I, I don't mean to detract from anybody else, but what I'm saying is I could really feel, I could really feel the difference. Um, and um, these people could feel that difference. They were young believers. They were far more lost than I was. Okay, I grew up in a, a in a culture that that embraces Christianity at least to some depth. Okay, and so the the horrible things that happened still were they happened in our society. But they but but this society was was one step off of barbarism and did not know God and did not know the reality, the love, and the truth. It was a Machiavellian world. It was a dog-eat-dog world. It was something that had not been exposed to the fact, you know, the teachings were not there to love your fellow man. It was every man out for himself. And so they, they were no longer strangers and aliens, but their fellow citizens. Now, they did know that being a citizen of the Roman Empire conveyed certain things, and there were certain rights, and they were in an inner circle. In fact, Paul several times pulled the citizenship card to get out of being in prison or to not be uh, flogged or whatever. So there were, so they understood what it would be like to no longer be an alien or a stranger or a barbarian, considered a barbarian, but now you're a fellow citizen. Now you have certain rights. And so what he's saying here is this is exciting for them. Okay, we could pass over it. Citizenship is open to everybody uh, in our society. In the Roman society, you could be part of the Roman Empire and not be a citizen, okay? And there were certain things, if you weren't a citizen, that they would do to you that they couldn't do if you were, uh, if you were a citizen. For example, um, uh, church tradition has that Paul was beheaded. If Paul was killed by the Romans, he was beheaded. He wouldn't be crucified because crucifixion was not something you could do to a Roman citizen. They could not be crucified. And so, there were the, so now they're fellow citizens and saints. Now they have a membership. Now they have a special uh, a priesthood here he's talking about. And members of God's household. Um, you know, so, um, so it's more than just uh, being servants in the household. We are members of the household. We are we are not household slaves. We are part of a family of God. And so the excitement here is we all take this for, we take this for granted now. Our God is too close to us now. God is too much of our friend. But when you realize how much you could be lost and what it is to be part of the family of God, then, then things change, okay? And so they're members of God's household built on a foundation of apostles and prophets. There is truth out there. You have to understand truth. You, God is love, and God wants us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love others, but we only love what we really know, and we, we need truth there, and there's a foundation of truth in the apostles and prophets who pass down that truth, and we're inheritors of that. The Gentiles are inheritors of that. They, too, share in the apostles and prophets, although the apostles were all Jewish and the prophets were all Jewish. We share, they share, in that inheritance, and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And so it all points to Christ being the, found, the, the keystone and the foundation, the one that everything is trued up by. By the way, the cornerstone was the one that was perfectly square, so that when you built off of it and it was strongest and it was, the center, it was on one corner and everything got built off that so that it all got built exactly. 
Christ is the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. So, so now we have several different things. You're no longer alien, uh, you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens, okay? You're no longer strangers and aliens, you're members of God's household. You're no longer strangers and aliens, you're now a temple being built, structure, whole structure being built together as a holy temple to the Lord. So he uses a bunch of images together. He runs them together to help us understand uh, two things. One is that, um, that we as believers are, are intimately connected to Christ and that we are also intimately connected to one another. And so this last, sentence, uh, this last verse here in 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so, so we are individual temples of the Holy Spirit, but we are also being built together. The church is being built together as a dwelling place for God. So that we, we get these marvelous imagery uh, in Revelation of, this, of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God dwelling there and us being with him forever and there never being any dark or night because God is a light himself and, and we're constantly beholding his face. And um, Paul is saying that's happening now. Um, I, I don't know about... So in my family, um, some of my children are not walking close with the Lord, um, and some are walking with the Lord in, in different levels and such, and um, in particular, it always hurts me when, when um, sometimes we talk, um, one of our kids might talk about, um, I told you we have odd family members, okay, uh, and as Christians. And, uh, and we also have people that I have to say sadly masquerade as family members at times. And, uh, and uh, so they'll come to me with some person or another and saying, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And it hurts me because I think I want God's name to be glorified. And the world sees some of the charlatans that are out there and says that's Christianity and I don't want any part of it. And uh, some of them are believers. Some, some of the people, you can be, some people, unfortunately, you don't get a theology test when you get to heaven. And there's some leaders there that are real believers, but they have some really bad theology and teaching bad things. Others are just charlatans out there. But it all hurts me when I see the world look at us and say, and when I say us, I mean the church, us believers. And it says, I don't want any part of that. It hurts me because... I want them to see Christ in his beauty. I want them to see, I want them to see as we talk about believers, loving one another and, and, and helping those in need and reaching out. And, and Pastor Bob talks about this as a great opportunity for us to help others. I want them to see Christ in us, okay? And that's what Paul is talking about here. And that's, and that's what happened here in Ephesus. People saw the change in their lives. They saw the change, and so they came into the church, and they, they, were, they were rejoicing, and they were willing to give up life savings of stuff that they had and burn them because they realized that they were worthless. They were actually hurting them and could hurt others. 
And so they, they, they wanted to be different, to be the body of Christ. And here, Paul is saying, you are the body of Christ. Christ died for you. He broke down this barrier wall, and you have every bit as much right to inheritance and the love of God as the Jewish people did. Now, they knew that Jewish people, you might, they might not have liked them a lot of times, or it was always um, a jealousy of people that you think are superior to you, or, or if you think they're acting superior to you too. And so there, 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 there's this jealousy here, and on the other hand, there's a craving too to be in the inner circle and to really know that truth and to be certain about God. And that wall's broken down now in Christ. We have access to Christ. We have the riches of Christ. The question is, what are we doing with that? Okay. Um, and, and, and I don't want to undersell helping others. I think that's really important. I think it's a, a thing that we have to hear over and over again. But what I'm asking, what I would ask in this as we conclude this is, what difference is it making in your life and your relationship to God? You now have full access to God. You can do and, and, and you say, well, I don't know how to approach God. I don't know how to approach God. Well, then talk to some pastors. Uh, talk to some friends that you think are walking with God. Be praying. Be in a group and pray with others. Start reading your Bible, Scripture, and people say, well, I don't understand that. I, it's hard for me to understand it. Well, there's the Bible Project um, that has good analyses and summaries of the books of the Bible. Do not use that as a substitute to reading your Bible. Use that as an adjunct to reading your Bible. Look at Go into the Bible Project and see what the book of Ephesians is about, and then read it. And then spend time thinking about it and meditating on it. And then start taking time and thinking about your life. Well, God, um, when this happened in my life, what were you doing here? You know? and, and, and five years later, how did that work out? And I think you'll start seeing God in your history, your past history, and giving you more trust for him now. Um, or you read something, you read something like um, you need to love others more, and you start meditating on your life and saying, there was this person here that I, um, I, didn't, I wasn't very loving to him, and this is how this turned out. There was another person that, that, that loved me. I, I always remember there was a guy, there was a guy who was a... Um, um, uh, not to get in, in too much into uh, denominations and uh, theology difference, but he was, he was very charismatic. He was uh, mostly Pentecostal uh, at a time when I had been hurt by a lot of charismatics and Pentecostals and, and, uh, in very deep ways. And so I was very anti-charismatic uh, Pentecostal. And this guy, he just loved me. And I knew he loved me. I knew he loved me. I knew When I saw him, I knew he loved me. And he understood that I didn't really care for where he was coming from. But he just loved me. And, and it changed me. It changed me in my relationship with him and in my relationship and attitude towards charismatic and uh, Pentecostals. But it was... It was Meditating on that, thinking of that makes me, helps me realize the power of love and the power of transforming acceptance. So God wants you to do that. And now we have, now we are part of the kingdom of God. Okay. Now we have access. We have access to the scriptures. That was one of the things that they, if you weren't Jewish, you didn't have, you could get the Bible. Okay. You didn't have that access. 
but but you didn't get that teaching. You couldn't listen to them because it was a closed community. It's, we have that now. Take advantage of it. Live a life that God wants you to live. Live a, live a life. Live a life connected to others and connected to God. That's what this is talking about. Now, Paul goes into other sections. We're going to be studying that in Ephesians, but don't wait for that. Get into the Bible. Get in and read it. You don't understand it. Talk to somebody. Reach out to somebody. Um, First Church Ministries, always there. My email's at the beginning of this. Uh, Jose and Bob's available, um, and there are other people that they can put you in touch with, depending on what your needs are. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you that we are no longer strangers and aliens, that, that at one time we were without hope. And I, I remember that time, though it was, it was 45 years ago. I still remember it. And um, the pain and the fear that come with that, and yet you delivered us from that. And so I pray that you would um, make us re- rejoice in the salvation we have, our salvation in you, and the fact that you have not left us alone, that we're seated with you in some spiritual way in the heavenlies, but here on earth, we also have your Holy Spirit, your Spirit dwelling in us to encourage us and to give us the words to say, uh, uh, both to other people and to our own heart, and to convince us that you'll never leave us nor desert us, that you'll always be with us, and that we are barreling towards an eternity with you. We look forward to that, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.